evening, all, and welcome again to another edition of Mormonism 101, where this week we actually have Charlie on board to talk about Adam God and why this is such a downfall where the Mormon religion is concerned. Let me explain the Adam God doctrine. Um, the doctrine is that um, Adam is the father of all of our spirits, he's the God spoken of in the Bible. He is the spiritual and physical father of Jesus. He, had, he came down, he had sex with Mary, and Jesus was born. So he's the only begotten in the flesh. Um, and Adam was, an, in Mormon theology, uh, if you, there are two, two different things you can achieve. One is salvation, so you're, you, know, you hang out with God all the time. And the second is exaltation, which means you become a God yourself. Um, so Adam was an exalted man who came from another planet. Uh, he had all these spiritual children but no mortal bodies for them. So he ate of the food of the planet, became mortal, uh, and then brought Eve, one of his wives, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> He's a believer. Yeah. Um, uh, one of his wives, and they had intercourse and started making mortal tabernacles uh, for um, his spiritual children. So the fall of Adam, really, when he ate the apple, was a necessary component because he had to eat the stuff, become charged with the kind of mortal stuff, and become mortal himself. It's kind of the reverse of what Jesus did, right? He descended uh, and died for us. Adam kind of, for our sins, Adam kind of chose to become mortal, um, stepped off his throne in heaven, and started the whole thing going, I guess. Yeah, now th this is actually something, as I stated in the last podcast, this is something where I grew up in mainstream Mormonism. This is something I didn't even hear about until my uh, my early 20s. And even then, when you talk to uh, someone who's high up in the LDS religion, they always tell you, well, this isn't important for your salvation, so you shouldn't worry about this. It will be made known unto you in some future time, basically, when you're dead. Right. Growing up in fundamentalism, of course, I heard this from the beginning. This was not a surprising thing to me. Uh, and Brigham actually claimed that he learned it from Joseph Smith. So we got to go back to what's called the King Follett Discourse uh, with Joseph Smith. And this is where the Mormon theology um, of that you could be exalted came from. Uh, King Follett Discourse, uh, he, it was a funeral. This guy was named actually King Follett. He wasn't a king. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I think he was in his own mind. <laughs> Uh, so this guy actually was um, an early convert to Mormonism who uh, was uh, working, I think, on some project, maybe for the Nauvoo Temple. I don't know. It was in 1844, so it probably was a Nauvoo Temple. Um, and he was crushed to death when a, a bunch of rocks fell on him as he was walling up a well. Oh, that's what it was. It was a well. Uh, so Joseph Smith actually gave the funeral sermon. And in this sermon, he talks about uh, what happens to us um, after we die and, and the nature of God. And he says that God is an exalted man who lived on a prior earth and was good and, and um, met all the requirements for salvation and exaltation. He was raised up, resurrected, and uh, began his work on this earth. So that's where the doctrine that we could come from, uh, you know, that we become gods came from. And just in case none of you else are, or none of you are thinking about this as well, but Let's, let's take this to the point. Okay, if God was a man on another world, he became a god. Well, who is the god of that world? And then who is the god of the one before? So where is the beginning of all this? Right, you kind of get into one of those turtles all the way down thing. You get into an infinite regress. But they just tell you, it's a circle. It's like a ring. It has no beginning or end. And there you go. You're done. Yeah, that still doesn't make any sense. Make there any sense has to be a beginning. <laughs> 
so the question is, where did Brigham Young get this? Because it really wasn't uh, espoused by Joseph Smith publicly. But Joseph Smith did uh, say a lot of stuff privately that he didn't say publicly, just like Jesus did, right? He taught his um, uh, apostles that they were going to become judges of uh, Israel, and uh, he was going to be kind of king of uh, of uh, the, the Messiah and, and king of the kingdom of God on earth. Um, that's kind of what Judas betrayed him over. Um, so, so there is a question. There, there are some things in Joseph Smith when when uh, he referred in the Doctrine and Covenants, DNC twenty seven verse eleven, to the Ancient of Days as Adam. That's kind of a clue because in Daniel seven. Uh, where Daniel refers to uh, the Ancient of Days sitting on a throne and with white hair, uh, all the other Christian denominations take that to be God. So yeah. Joseph Smith refers to him as Adam. That's kind of a, a, a clue that maybe Joseph Smith was teaching him. Well, and I mean, we've already got proof, especially where that uh, chick by the name of Fanny was, that Joseph Smith was having an adulterous relationship was, or with, excuse me, we already have proof that Joseph Smith, although he may have kept uh, all his revelations secret, there are times when he's kept them secret, ex planning on letting everybody else in on his little secret at a later time. So perhaps we just killed him off before the Adam-God doctrine actually came out. True. Um, yeah, maybe he just died too early before he was ready to release it. And actually, when the, the saints moved over to Utah, and they're in their own territory. They're surrounded by mountains. They think that uh, the end of the world is going to happen in 1890. So I believe in the Doctrine of, and Covenants, um, Joseph Smith was pestering God uh, about when the world was going to come to an end. And God says, if you live to, to the, your 85th year, that will be the winding up scene. And that was 1890. So you got to put yourself in their place. They're now alone. They're not you know, um, surrounded by reporters. It's not going to get public if they don't want it. Uh, and here he is in a general conference. Uh, 1852, 9th of April, um, Journal of Discourses, if you're keeping record or want to cite our sources, page 50. Uh, now here at O inhabitants of the earth, Jew and Gentile, saint and sinner. When our father Adam came into the Garden of Eden, he came into it with a celestial body and brought Eve, one of his wives, with him. He helped to make and organize this world. He is Michael, the archangel, the ancient of days, about whom holy men have written and spoken. He is our father and our God and the only God with whom we have to do. Every man upon the earth, professing Christians or non-professing, that includes you and me, Layton. Yeah, I've, I've noticed. Must hear it, and we'll know it sooner or later. They came here, organized the raw material, and arranged in their order the herbs of the field, the trees, the apple, the peach, the plum, the pear, and every other fruit that is desirable and good for man. The seed was brought from another sphere and planted in this earth. The thistle, the thorn, the briar, and the obnoxious weed did not appear until after the earth was cursed. I love it. <laughs> Where did they come from? Yeah, obviously God just created that, but um, if God was just taking these, or excuse me, Adam God was just taking these from another planet and bringing it here, why did Adam have to name them once they were here in the beginning of the Bible? Because the Mormons believe in the Bible. Uh, maybe he named them what they were in the prior world. He's the only yeah, one who can do it. He brought them over in his spaceship. <laughs> well, that would actually make sense, considering uh, you would think if God actually made these things, he wouldn't need Adam to actually name them. But <laughs> When Adam and Eve, I'm continuing now, when Adam and Eve had eaten of the forbidden fruit, their bodies became mortal from its effects, and therefore their offspring were mortal. Uh, later on it says, when the Virgin Mary conceived the child Jesus, the Father had begotten him in his own likeness. He was not begotten by the Holy Ghost. And who is the Father? He is the first of the human family. 
And continues a little later, Jesus, our elder brother, was begotten in the flesh by the same character that was in the Garden of Eden, who is our Father in heaven. That is pretty much the Adam-God doctrine, and it completes the King Follett discourse. So I'm not sure why there was so much controversy over this. Um, if you know that you can become a god, or you believe in it, uh, the question is what happens when you become a god, and I think the most natural thing to happen would be to become an Adam on another world and start the whole thing in motion. It seems well, to make sense. Oh, it makes complete sense. And the interesting thing is, is even if Joseph Smith died, if Brigham Young was be, being guided by God or whatever prophet that comes afterwards, would not God make sure that this was brought forward, whether or not Joseph Smith died before it came out? Well, sure. And again, they think they're in a little um, uh, God's country, right? Their own kingdom by themselves. We'll just call it a, we'll just call it a bubble at this point. A bubble that they think um, they're kind of in the position that the original Christian church was. They're not thinking of organizations so much because uh, everything's going to be blown away and reversed. They think the end of the world is coming, coming quickly. Uh, they don't have to actually get along with other Christians. They don't have to get along with the rest of the United States because it's all going to be blown up, uh, replaced yeah, by the kingdom of God. really doesn't matter. Now, curiously enough, the, uh, the thought runs through my head. Why is it all religions are so intent on the end of the world? Why is it all of them are out there thinking, oh, we're all going to die? Well, I, I think my opinion is that it goes back to the problem of evil. You know, that there's evil in this world, therefore it's not perfect. Therefore, the next world will be more perfect. Therefore, we should be there instead of here. Uh, but I'm, I side with, uh, uh, what's that, religious Bill Mayer, uh, when he says, if you think it's so perfect, why are you still here? Yeah, why aren't you killing yourself? <laughs> uh, so... Um, that's Adam God, and actually, he, he, he that's the most popular one to kind of uh, attack if you're a Mormon. But uh, he, he taught it for over 30 years. I mean, in three separate decades, he taught it. Uh, he never went back on it. And uh, so the question is, how does the church respond to this? Because they don't accept it. Um, well, see, and that's very interesting. I mean, you have proof right in the Doctrine and Covenants, which is straight from Joseph Smith's mouth, pretty much. And it's almost exactly saying what Brigham Young was spouting, so why is it that it's so hidden right now from the LDS Church? Right. And I cannot get anyone who knows enough and who is still a member of the Church to answer that question. Well, that's because, as far as I can tell, there is no answer to that question. All right, so... Um... It seems clear that he taught the doctrine. He taught it um, over like three decades. Um, so what does the church say? Uh, well, initially they thought maybe he was misquoted, right? Yeah, um, this, that was a big thing is that there's always misquotation. In fact, I even got that when I first started asking around about Adam God. They told me, oh, that's just a misquote. That's Mormon propaganda is yeah. actually what I was to this day, you know, you hear, oh, you've just been reading anti-Mormon literature. That was clear. That was just a misquote. Um, you have LDS presidents, Joseph Fielding Smith and Spencer W. Kimball, separated by about 60 or 70 years. In uh, Smith's Doctrines of Salvation, he discounted Young by saying, in all probability, the sermon was erroneously transcribed. And that was um, volume 1, page 96. Is this possible? Um, was he misquoted? Well, see, what it always seems to me is when somebody's trying to defend an indefensible position, they always try to say, well, the facts are false. Let me read just a few quotes. Um, here's one from 
I think the October 1854, and so it's uh, two years after he announced it. In the celestial kingdom, Adam and Eve were crowned with glory, immortality, and eternal lives, with thrones, principalities, and powers. And it was said to him, It is your right to organize the elements, and to your creations and posterity there shall be no end. And you shall add kingdom to kingdom and throne to throne, but still behold the vast eternity of an organized matter. Um, another one uh, in uh, Journal of Discourses 5, uh, page 331. Uh, some have grumbled because I believe our God to be so near to us as Father Adam. Uh, there are many who know that doctrine to be true. Going on in L.J. Nettles' journal, Adam is the father of our spirits, and the spirits of all the human family were begotten by Adam and born of Eve. I tell you, when you see your father in the heavens, you'll see Adam, and when you see your mother that bore your spirit, you'll see Mother Eve. Father Adam's oldest son, Jesus the Savior, who is the heir of the family, is Father Adam's first begotten in the spirit world, who according to the flesh is the only begotten as it is written. Uh, and we can go on and on. I mean, um, All of this seems to bring to mind something my dad said to me a long time ago. He basically pointed out that there are many worlds out there, and there are, uh, in his own words, many of us who have reached the level of God. Therefore, would that not mean that uh, we were polytheists in the Mormon religion? But not only that, but if Mormon religion is correct, and that you are reaching towards attain exaltation, where you would become a god, you would have your own worlds, would that mean that Jesus Christ, who sacrificed himself for our sins here on this world, would you have to, on each of these worlds, have to do it again and again and again? Would you have to sacrifice somebody over and over again? I think that's a necessary consequence. Um, and I believe that's one of the problems Orson Pratt had to the theory that it leads to an endless number of falls and an endless number of crucifixions. Um, but in, in addition to these quotes, you have quotes from Heber C. Kimball uh, in his journal. He said that uh, he preached on June 29, 1856, four years later. I've learned by experience that there is but one God that pertains to this people. He is the God that pertains to this earth, the first man. That first man sent his own son to redeem the world. Wilford Woodruff, in his journal, he kept a voluminous journal, mentions many times um, that uh, about the Adam-God doctrine. Rodney Turner, professor at BYU, uh, in 1953, said, In light of Brigham Young's attitude toward the errors of others and a view of the division created by his remarks concerning Adam, it would be stretching one's credulity to the breaking point to believe that he would have remained silent had he been misquoted. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. I don't see Brigham Young as being somebody who would be misquoted and who would even allow it to continue. Absolutely. I mean, this, this all just seems to me like the, the mainstream LDS church is trying to sweep under the rug something that they can't even accept themselves. Totally. Um, you have, uh, here's the journal dated February 19th, 1854, two years later. Um, this is Wilford Woodruff, who again is president, fourth president of the church, wrote to Brigham Young, quote, said that our God was Father Adam. He was the father of the Savior Jesus Christ. Our God was no more or less than Adam Michael the Archangel. Uh, so I think to say that he uh, was misquoted is ridiculous. We can dispense with that. So the other question is, was he wrong? This is what um, Elder Bruce McConkie uh, said in 1981. Yes, Brigham Young, or President Young, did teach that Adam was the father of our spirits and all the related things that the polygamous cultists described to him. This, however, is... Um, not true. So he's saying that the doctrine of Adam God is not true. He expressed views that are out of harmony with the gospel. This is very interesting. That is actually very fascinating because has 
did he get his information? I mean, he has this information before him. He has absolute proof, and for once, he's actually accepting of that proof. But the fact remains that if Brigham Young was preaching it poorly, and we've already established that Joseph Smith was most probably teaching this, then does that not mean that the entire basis of the LDS Church that they stand upon right now has fallen away? No, absolutely. Um, Bruce R. McConkie goes on to say they have a list of false doctrines, right? He says, you, you talk about teaching false doctrine and being damned. Here's a list of false doctrines that if anyone teaches, he will be damned. And there is not one of these that I have ever known to be taught in the church, but I'm giving you the list for a perspective of what will follow. I wonder if this is written before or after 1981. Teach that God is a spirit, the sectarian trinity, so I guess all the rest of the Christians will be damned. Teach yep. that salvation comes by grace alone without works. Teach original guilt or birth sin, as they express it. Teach infant baptism. Teach predestination. Teach that revelation and gifts and miracles have ceased. Teach the Adam-God theory. <laughs> that does apply in the church. Yeah, Teach oops. that we should practice plural marriage today. Now any of those doctrines, that now any of those are doctrines that damn. Um, that's Sermons and Writings, Bruce R. McConkie, page 337. Wait, wait, wait. Teach that we should practice plural marriage in this day. That's what he um, said. Did not God come down and tell you to practice plural marriage, and the only reason why you stopped is because you were afraid you were all going to get killed? Pretty much. Um, they'll say that, you know, we agree with Jacob too, which um, says that plural marriage is an exception rather than a rule, and it should only be practiced when God uh, gives it. The fundamentalists will say it was um, instituted by a revelation, 132. It should be revoked by a revelation, and you don't have the text of the Revelation, all you have is a press release. It all comes down to no one has the balls to actually say Joseph Smith was wrong in this. Absolutely. Uh, here's BYU professor Stephen E. Robertson. For the Latter-day Saints, however, the point is moot, since whatever Brigham Young said, true or false, was never presented to the church for a sustaining vote. It was not then and is not now a doctrine of the church, and the church has merely set the phenomenon aside as an anomaly. Isn't that nice? Um... <laughs> It all comes down to the voting system, which we've already discussed here on Irreligiosophy, concerning the LDS Church and voting against God. So God gives yeah. you something and you vote, oh, God's wrong, we don't want to practice this. Yeah, it's They're... the fallback of canon, right? Since we didn't approve of it, we don't have to defend it. Um, another BYU professor, Robert Millay, uh, admits the doctrine was taught, um, but he appeals to the fallibility of prophets and denies uh, that it, it meets what he thinks. He, and he is a standard for doctrine. He goes, quote, If you want to know what constitutes the doctrine of the church, one, is this doctrine or idea found within the standard works? Uh, nice. <laughs> yeah. um, there is a quote in one of the Journal of Discourses that um, I think George Q. Cannon said, that the Journal of Discourses rightly stand uh, beside the standard works, and they're as good as anything else. Um, two, is it found in what we would call official declarations or proclamations? I don't know if you don't get any more official than a conference talk. Yeah, uh, that's pretty official, standing in front of the entire congregation of the LDS Church and stating this. That's pretty official. Number three, is this a doctrine that is taught by the apostles of the First Presidency and General Conference or other official church gatherings today? <laughs> well, certainly would be true in Brigham Young's time, but not in uh, today's time. Number four, is this found in general handbooks of the church or in approved curriculum material of the church? If it doesn't meet one of those four criteria, it is not the doctrine of the church. To be sure, Brigham Young and a few others taught that Adam God uh, taught that Adam was God for a period of years. But by the criteria I've just given you, it would not qualify as being a doctrine of the church because, frankly, when Brigham, President Young passed away, that doctrine passed with him. Now, that's true. It didn't really continue very much further. 
Um, but the, the problem is, oh, great. Now, the immediate response I'll get uh, from someone is, wait a minute. This is continuing the quote. Brigham Young was the president of the church at the time. That's right. And he preached it in general conference. That is correct. <laughs> My response to that would be, and this is a little tough sometimes, but I have pretty good authority on this one from President Hinckley. And it goes something like this. Latter-day Saints do not believe in either apostolic or prophetic infallibility. Uh, wow, that's impressive. That is actually impressive, and it completely goes against what uh, Mormons practice. And what I mean by that is, all, all I was ever raised at was that when the prophet speaks, you listen, and you do what the prophet says. You don't go against it. Absolutely. It's a sure road to apostasy if you're disagreeing with the leaders of the church, right? When the prophet exactly. speaks, the thinking has been done. So they're kind of speaking out of both sides of their mouth here. Um, so in claiming that he's wrong, uh, as McConkie does, and I think McConkie wrote in a letter where he said um, he's wrong and he's going to have to answer for that doctrine, and we don't know why he gave it. Um, here's the problem. Mormons believe in an unbroken chain of priesthood, uh, and that priesthood authority comes from the man who holds all of the keys and the authority to use them. That's the president and prophet. So yeah, all the priest's authority comes down from him. If he doesn't know the first principle of the gospel, according to Joseph Smith and Brigham Young, uh, who God is. In other words, if he's praying to Adam instead of God, and they're not the same person, he's not only a, a little bit off, he's off on the most important thing in the entire religion, who God is. He's not a prophet. He's not speaking with God. He has no idea what's going on for the rest of it. This is exactly like Moses coming down out of the mountain with the Ten Commandments and finding his people praying to a golden calf. Right. We have Brigham Young praying to Adam and not God himself. So would not God punish something such as that? You'd think. And Brigham Young himself said that, you know, God had... Let's see. Let's see. Brigham Young said, Some people may think I am not leading the church aright. Now I will tell you how you may know when I do not lead the church aright. The Lord will just nip my wind, for he will never allow any man to lead this church astray. <laughs> wow, that's uh, that's quite the little uh, fallback guy. Go ahead, God. Curse me. I'm here. Hit me. Yeah, that's fantastic. Of course, Brigham Young eventually did die, but after 33 years, he was he he was the president and prophet of the church for the longest. If anyone knew what he was talking about, it would have to be Brigham Young. God left him in there the longest. He so does that was mean, satisfied. So does that mean right at the end of his life, he went to say something he wasn't supposed to, and God struck him down? <laughs> Uh, so the next question is, the next thing they'll tell you is, well, that's not important. It's not, it doesn't pertain to the salvation. It's just one of those mysteries, and just forget about it. Uh, except that in the same sermon in General Conference where he announced it, he said, this is on Journal Discourses 151, Now let all those who may hear these doctrines pause before they make light of them or treat them with indifference, for they will prove their salvation or damnation. That sounds pretty important. Obviously, they're not paying their tithing insurance, so they're going to be burned towards the end of this. Right. Uh, it was so important that near his death in 1877, Brigham Young was trying to standardize the endowment ceremony um, to use in St. George. And he introduces part of the endowment to lecture at the veil, or lecture before the veil. And it was written down by one of his scribes, L. John Nuttall. And here it is. Adam was an immortal being when he came on this earth. Uh, he had lived on an earth similar to ours and had begotten all the spirit that was to come to this earth. And Eve, our common mother, who is mother of all living, bore those spirits in the celestial world. 
1877, 25 years after he introduced it. Continuing, Father Adam's oldest son, Jesus the Savior, who is the heir of the family, is Father Adam's first begotten in the spirit world, who, according to the flesh, is the only begotten as it is written. In his divinity, he having gone back into the spirit world, and come into the spirit to uh, or glory to Mary, and she conceived, for when Adam and Eve got through with their work in this earth, they did not lay their bodies down in the dust, but returned to the spirit world from whence they came. That's the journal of L. John Nuttall, personal secretary, secretary of Brigham Young, February 7th, 1877, can be found in BYU Special Collections. Um, do you think, <laughs> if he was question. misquoted, he was misquoted over three separate decades. Oh, yeah. I mean, this, this guy was constantly misquoted, but... Uh, my question is, is in that statement, he actually stated that Eve bore all of our spirits in the spirit world. So it makes me wonder, is uh, childbirth as painful in the spirit world as it is here? And if it is, why would any woman want to give birth that many times? To billions. Apparently it's joyous in the spirit world, and only when they ate of the apple and became mortal did it become painful. Wow, that's just retarded. <laughs> Here's some more quotes for you. June 1854, Apostle Franklin D. Richards, here's an apostle, British mission president, stated in the Millennial Star, 16, page 534, Adam is our father and our God, uh, and the, the Lord revealed this to the prophet Joseph in a revelation. So apparently he got it from Joseph, or maybe he's quoting Brigham Young. On September, eight, on September 4, 1860, George Q. Cannon said, quote, that Adam is our father, and it is a true doctrine revealed from God <clears throat> to Joseph and Brigham. For this same doctrine is taught in some of the old Jewish records which have never been in print. That's from the Journal of Wilford Woodruff, September 4th, 1860. Did um, he say Jewish doctrine that has never been in print? I have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> One of these hidden things that Joseph Smith translated, maybe? Yeah, may maybe the Jews out there are so evil and, uh, and not good with God that uh, they're hiding these, this stuff because if they actually accepted it, they would have to join the Mormonism cult. Yeah. You're right. Here's another one. December 16, 1867, Wilford Woodruff's Journal. Uh, at a meeting of the School of the Prophets, President Young said Adam was Michael the Archangel and he was the father of Jesus Christ and was our God and that Joseph taught this principle. Um, so if he was misquoted or wrong, um, he was misquoted consistently, amazingly, don't you think? Yeah, it's pretty, pretty spot on over many generations of people and many years that have passed, it's pretty spot on that everything he taught is exactly what he said from the beginning. So how is that being misquoted or people just not understanding what he's saying? It's, it seems like there's enough information out there where what he's saying is exactly what you're reading. Yeah, here's another one. Um, in uh, Deseret Weekly News, June 18, 1873, uh, this um, goes to Brigham Young being wrong, I guess, from Spencer W. Kimball, Joseph F. Smith, and uh, Bruce O'Ronkonke. So here's what he says. How much unbelief exists in the minds of Latter-day Saints in regard to one particular doctrine which is revealed to them and which God revealed to me, namely that Adam is our Father and God? I do not know. I do not inquire. I care nothing about it. Our Father Adam is the man who stands at the gate and holds the keys of everlasting life and salvation to all his children who have or ever will come upon the earth. Uh, that's pretty clear, don't you think? Oh, that's pretty clear to damning all those who don't believe in it. Therefore, you have a prophet of God saying to everybody else, you believe what I have to say or you're damned for. Maybe that's where 
modern LDS church gets to uh, the point where they don't question what the prophet says. Maybe it's coming directly from Brigham Young. Could be. Um, this this is a great quote from Brigham Young, too. Um, uh, January, 7th, uh, January 2nd, 1870, Journal of Discourses, Volume 13, page 95. I have never yet preached a sermon and sent it out to the children of men that they may not call it scripture. Wow. So it seems like, um, you know... Seems like he's a megalomaniac. Everything I say is scripture, so accept it. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> not according to was it Spencer W. Kimball. Yeah, we warn you against the dissemination of doctrines which are not according to the scriptures, <laughs> and which are alleged to have been taught by some of the general authorities of past generations. Not alleged, they were taught. Such, for instance, is the Adam-God theory. We denounce that theory and hope that everyone will be cautioned against this and other kinds of false doctrines. That's Church News, October 9, 1976, President Spencer W. Kimball. Now, now you have two prophets directly in contradiction with one another. Who do you yeah. believe? Not only directly in contradiction, one's attacking the other, saying this was never taught and it's a false doctrine, therefore don't accept it. Right. But we've got proof that Brigham Young did say it. So basically it's just him. It, it's like you always say, Charlie, the, uh, the Mormon church has great PR. They like to sweep things under the rug, and they have great PR where this is concerned. And this seems exactly what that is. It's just more PR. They're just hiding the fact that this is actual doctrine in their church. Yeah. Here, here's a good one, too. <laughs> I think this is from the same um, 1873 Deseret News. Some have grumbled, this is Brigham Young, some have grumbled because I believe our God to be so near to us as Father Adam. There are many who know that doctrine to be true. Some years ago, um, I advanced a doctrine with regard to Adam being our father and God that will be a curse to many of the elders of Israel because of their folly. With regard to it, they yet grovel in darkness and will. It is one of the most glorious revealments of the economy of heaven, yet the world holds it in derision. But they are ignorant and stupid like the dumb ass. He sounds a little bitter now. <laughs> He's probably been getting uh, people saying to him, okay, this is wrong for some time here. I mean, the majority didn't like the idea. Right. So I can imagine he's bitter at this point. He's sitting there thinking, well, everybody would follow Joseph Smith yeah. no matter what he says. Why won't they do the same for me? One of my favorite things is that Orson Pratt, an apostle in the Quorum of the Twelve, disagreed with it. He disagreed with the doctrine uh, for what we talked about earlier. He said it would lead to an endless amount of suffering and falls, and and it would just it, it would be horrible. Um, he he, I think expressed that disagreement very publicly. I, I believe he. Um, published a book called The Seer that disagreed with it, um, and he disagreed with it in private meetings with other apostles. He, uh, he was rebuked privately and publicly by Brigham Young on more than one occasion until 1860, um, and I believe I've seen the um, quorum minutes for this meeting. He was faced with possible disfellowshipment. He's going to lose his place as an apostle. Um, and John Taylor said... Uh, you know, Brigham Young could be wrong in the price of a horse or, or a cart, um, but where is a prophet given, thus saith the Lord, and it not been the case? Um, and, and a bunch of other apostles are trying to get him to agree to it. Finally, he agrees. Um, he he kind of gives a public apology, uh, and this was negotiated between a bunch of the apostles and Brigham Young uh, and, and uh, Orson Pratt. Interestingly enough, the modern-day church is in the exact same position as Orson Pratt was. You know what this all seems to me? This this all seems like the same exact thing that happened when Joseph Smith was uh, 
uh, actually uh, accused of adultery with Fanny. It all comes down to where he is the head, he's threatening disfellowship, excommunication, and for those who don't follow through and do what he wishes, they get kicked out. It's like uh, it, it's basically like the mafia pushing around people here. Yeah. Tell you what it sounds like to me. It sounds like they're having this uh, in, initially in the church. They're having you know uh, everyone's kind of given their own doctrine, and, and it just so happens that Brigham Young happens to be the head. So he um, pulls some things out of Joseph Smith, makes some uh, ideas and connections on his own, puts the doctrine out there. And uh, a bunch of people say, oh, I don't agree with that. That seems really, really strange. He gets more and more bitter about it. He's uh, really upfront, honest, pragmatic, uh, and authoritarian. Um, yeah. He doesn't like his authority to challenge. Like I said, he, he really seems like a megalomaniac to me. Yeah, and they have to, um, uh, kind of after he dies, they have to kind of disentangle him from the church, and everything kind of settles in. It was in, uh, I read it from a missionary who went in kind of around the turn of the century, and by the time he came back from his mission, that had been taken out of the uh, temple ceremony. So sometime between the turn of the century and probably 1904, 1906, during the Reed Smoot hearings, that was taken out. And then they start disavowing it, hoping it'll go away, sweeping it under the rug. Never a very popular doctrine in the first place. John Taylor, who followed Brigham Young, was in hiding for three years and until he died. He wasn't going to say anything. Wilford Woodruff was too busy with the um, uh, federal challenge to polygamy uh, for his eight years in, in the presidency. I don't think he even touched that. Who else? Let's see. Uh, Lorenzo Snow, I think, was in there for a year or two for Joseph F. Smith. Um, really didn't say anything about it. Really never a popular doctrine. Um, but unfortunately, Mormons are stuck with the fact that Brigham Young taught it, and he taught it over three decades. So you if know, he's I, wrong, they have no priesthood authority right now. The line's what broken. I, what I love about the LDS Church is their knee-jerk reaction to anything that doesn't speak well of them is to bury it. Yeah. To not say a thing about <laughs> it. Forget it. He's misquoted. And then people accept that, problem solved. Well, you know, go back and do some research. All right, he wasn't misquoted. You caught me on that one. Uh, he actually did teach it, but uh, it's not that important. It's like a bunch of kids closing their eyes and playing hide-and-seek, thinking if they hide in plain sight with yeah. their eyes closed, they won't be seen. So I would really love to get a, a Mormon who's knowledgeable about this stuff to give us some sort of interpretation that salvages both Brigham Young's status as a prophet, which is necessary for the current Mormon church to have any priesthood proceedings, uh, and puts the Mormon church right now in a right standing before God, right? So you'd have to have... Brigham Young being correct and maintaining his status as a prophet, and the modern church being correct to maintain their priesthood authority. That cannot simultaneously happen. No, not unless you had God uh, coming down out of the heavens and laying his hands on somebody else's head and conferring the priesthood like he did with Joseph Smith. Right. You'd have to go around it. So that's, that's the Adam-God doctrine in a nutshell. Do you want to cover... Um, the institutionalized racism of uh, the Mormon church? Oh, I would love to. That's one of my favorite subjects because it's all about the white man and him being comfortable with uh, the racism before the, the racism goes away. It's, it's wonderful. Um, and this actually has to do more with Brigham Young than it does Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith thought that 
the slaves should be freed and returned to Africa, which to me, I suppose, it's nice that he kind of disagreed with slavery, but returning to Africa after they've been here and their families for hundreds of years seems a little ridiculous. Well, I don't know. It makes sense to me. I mean, we as uh, white Europeans should be freed and sent back to Europe so the Indians can, or excuse me, the Native Americans can have their continent back. It makes sense to me. Yeah. This originates, however, with um, Joseph Smith because I believe in either, I think it's the Book of Abraham where he traces the black lineage through Cain and uh, Ham or Shem or somebody after the flood. Um, and, jo and Brigham Young is just kind of building on that. So here are some quotes from Brigham Young. When all of the other children of Adam have had the privilege of receiving the priesthood and coming into the kingdom of God and of being redeemed from the four quarters of the earth and have received their resurrection from the dead, then it will be time enough to remove the curse from Cain and his posterity. That's Journal of Discourses, Volume 2, page 143. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad us white folks get to walk through the pearly gates before any black folks get to. It's nice, isn't it? They go through their entire uh, mortal probation without having access to the priesthood. Now, they'll tell you... I don't know if this is official doctrine in the church, but what I was told was that the black people were not valiant in the pre-existence during the war between Jesus and Satan. They kind of sat on the fence. So they're allowed to have a body, but they can't have the priesthood. You know, I've actually heard that in mainstream Mormonism. Have you? And it always makes I mean, I think the first time I heard that, I was five or six. And of course, back then, I just kind of cocked my head, but you accept what's told to you. When you, when you actually get older and you think about this, you're, it, it just is so full of falsehoods. So basically, because they sat on the fence back then, then their earthly probation is pretty much masturbating in the corner. Yeah, it's great. Uh, here's a couple more of them. Journal of Discourses, Volume 7, 290-291. Cain slew his brother, and the Lord put a mark on him. Uh, which is the flat nose and black skin. <laughs> How long is that race to endure the dreadful curse that is upon them? That curse will remain upon them, and they never can hold the priesthood or share in it until all the other descendants of Adam have received the promises and enjoyed the blessings of the priesthood and the keys thereof. Until the last ones, the residue of Adam's children, are brought up to that favorable position, the children of Cain cannot receive the first ordinances of the priesthood. They are the first cursed, and they will be the last whom the curse will be removed. Journal of Discourses, Volume 11, 272. Why are so many inhabitants of the earth cursed with a skin of blackness? It comes in consequence of their fathers rejecting the power of the holy priesthood and the law of God. They will go down to death. And when all the rest of the children have received their blessings in the holy priesthood, then that curse will be moved from the seed of Cain. Isn't that great? Yeah, this, this is just one long lit, liturgy. Oh, hey, you'll like this one. All right, hit me, hit me. Let Journal me. of Discourses 10, uh, page 110. Shall I tell you the law of God in regard to the African race? If the white man who belongs to the chosen seed mixes his blood with the seed of Cain, the penalty under the law of God is death on the spot. This will always be so. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, not mince words about that. Wow. So, so you're telling me that when you get a, get a mixed race... Death for both of them. Death for both of them in, what, 80 years when they both get old and die? No, I think you're supposed to kill them. Oh, okay, I'm okay with that. It's like the Old Testament, right? If you're picking up sticks on Sabbath, you're, you're supposed to get killed too. Uh, okay, and here this goes to Adam, God, and uh, blacks in the priesthood. Uh, Journal of Discourses 16, uh, 161. If there is any elder here or any member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who can bring up the first idea, the first sentence that I've delivered to the people as counsel that is wrong, I really wish they would do it, but they cannot do it for the simple reason that I have never given counsel that is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> 
Once again, the yes. prophet is all powerful and all right. Isn't that fantastic? Uh, that, that's um, just there's painful. one that's very specific about. Let, let me tell you further. Let my seed mingle with the seed of Cain. That that brings the curse upon me and upon my generations. On that very day and hour, we should do so. The priesthood is taken from the church and kingdom, and God leaves us to our fate. So basically, if there are any mixed races, God walks away from the church. February 5th, 1852, speech by Governor Brigham Young, giving his uh, thoughts on slavery. You ready for this one? Come on, dude, I'm like a crack whore. I need my fix. Give it to me. Let this church, which is called the kingdom of God on earth, we will summons the first presidency, the twelve, the high council, the bishopric, and all the elders of Israel. Suppose we summons them to appear here, and here declare that it is right to mingle our seed with a black race of Cain, that they shall come in with us uh, and be partakers of all the blessings God has given to us. On that very day and hour we should do so, the priesthood is taken from this church and kingdom, and God leaves us to our fate. The moment we consent to mingle with the seed of Cain, the church must go to destruction. So, wow. what do you think happened in 1978 when they consented to mingle their seed and give all the blessings of the priesthood to, to the people? Oh, I'm pretty sure God has walked away from the church from that point forward. Well, God's a racist. I mean, the, <laughs> this whole thing was institutionalized racism from almost the beginning. I think Joseph Smith did uh, confer the priesthood upon Elijah Abel, but you know they had a, apologetics after that. They said, oh, he was just one-eighth black, and he was pretty light of color, so we really didn't know if he was black or not. Um, but until then, the policy, through Brigham Young, through Wilford Woodruff, I think someone petitioned Wilford Woodruff, uh, can we bring this black person through the temple? No, absolutely not. They can't have one drop of black blood in them. All the so way up until 1978. That's what I love. They don't even have the balls to stand behind. Even if they did back then think, oh, the blacks should be free, they should share in what we possess, they didn't have the balls to stand behind it and started grumbling around saying, oh, well, you know, we didn't know how black he was. He's only one-eighth black. I mean, yeah. come yeah. on. Why don't we see some prophecy here that is actually good, that we can all just read and it would be plain to yeah. our minds so it's not completely doused in mist? I mean, come on. And what the 1978 Declaration does is it cuts the feet out of the theology in the first place. Now they're saying... Why did God restrict the priesthood to the blacks? We don't know. We have no doctrine on that. We have no idea. As if you guys don't talk to God every day, why don't you just goddamn ask him? Why don't you get down on your knees and ask him? This See, that's to me is total love. proof that you guys have no line to God. This is a concern, God. This is, um, why were you racist for the, the uh, first 150 years of the church? Why, why yeah. was this, God? Why, many of our members are... This is causing a stumbling block for conversions. People are concerned about this. And there's a big silence about it. You guys don't know shit. You guys are just doing stuff as it comes along. It's amazing that society has to progress that far. And then two decades later, you get a declaration from the Mormon church. You know, I am in absolute agreement with you. In fact... If, uh, who's the current Mormon president, or prophet? Thomas S. Monson. Hinkley croaked a couple years back. All right, Monson, if you are listening to this right now, there is one way that you can absolutely prove that the LDS Church is real. Go to God, ask God yourself, since you have an open line to God, ask Him, who created God? If you can come back <laughs> with that answer, you will have solved a mystery of the universe. So hey, Thomas, why don't you get 
Priest. I'd settle for an answer on either Blackstone Priesthood or Adam God. You don't even have to touch polygamy, which I think is ridiculous, or polyandry, or the Book of Abraham. Um, I'd settle for either Blackstone Priesthood or Adam God. Any reasonable anything. Come on, yeah. Thomas. You got. You've already been through one uh, general conference without you know telling us what's going on. They asked Spencer W. Kimball, I think, about Adam God or Blackstone Priesthood, and he goes, "Don't worry about those little tricks of history." What the f tricks of little history? Tri <laughs> I'd like you to tell that to the black people who couldn't uh, go through the temple or receive their endowments or have the benefit of blessing their own children, um, you know, to heal them. They had to get a white person to do it if they were even consented to be members of the church. Why don't you tell those 150 years of black people that it was just a little trick of history? You know, i got to tell you, if I was black back in those times, I would find it very difficult to swallow that I wasn't able to hold the priesthood and that I actually had to go to my white masses and ask them to come and help my poor little black soul. It's really difficult today for me to believe that this is a true church of God when they institutionalized racism for 148 years. Yeah, that's, don't, that's not pretty... Not only not priesthood, we're talking about don't mingle with these guys. Don't marry them. Don't mix your seed with them. I mean, clearly yeah. you can say part of this is due to the uh, ethics of the times, right? People in Brigham Young's time thought that black people were savages and they weren't as intelligent as the rest of us, as white people. Um, and so part of it's, you know, presentism, where we're looking at 150 years ago through the eyes of the present. Um, but, and I'd buy that argument except for one thing, Brigham Young is supposed to have a direct line to God who isn't stuck in the 1800s. Yeah, right. once again, why is it God didn't come forward and say, you know, this is what the world thinks, this is what you should think? Yeah, that would be a nice proof. Wow, we're 150 years ahead of the times instead of 20 years behind the times. We have to wait post 1960s civil rights era, um, 20 years after. And you know, the thought just occurs to me that any LDS listeners out there are going to instantly say to us, well, what about the word of wisdom? God told us about the word of wisdom long before. And, uh, Charlie, I've already discussed this with you, so why don't you answer that question? Because it's very entertaining to me. The word of wisdom is very common 1800s uh, advice. You know, uh, don't drink strong drink. You know, exercise. Eat stuff in their seasons. Um, only after did they think, did they say, well, uh, these hot drinks that he's talking about is coffee and tea. Oh, since it's coffee and tea, the, the only thing in common with those is caffeine. So don't drink caffeine. Don't, you know, don't have any caffeine. And then they say, oh, you know, here's science that says, you know, if you eat caffeine then, then, or drink it, then you're going to have problems. Well, actually, recently, um, they showed blood pressure, at least, is a J-shaped curve. It's like an inverted J. If you drink up to one or two cups of coffee, your blood pressure goes up. But if you drink more than that, it actually goes down. And <laughs> if you drink a moderate amount of alcohol, strong drink, it actually... Uh, decreases your risk of heart, of heart attack. So the word of wisdom isn't anything more than the common sense of the 1800s. Uh, it, there's it, nothing ahead of, of the times in that one. It's ridiculous. Oh, this is actually something that was constantly beating my head as a young LDS man. Ridiculous. Is, is that, you know, God saw fit. This was God's revelation that we can prove because modern-day science says that you should not smoke and you should not drink. 
And it's it's absolutely ridiculous, but it's it's a way for them to hold Joseph Smith up on a higher pedestal and say that he is far wiser and far better than anybody else out there. I would like to point out that I believe in the Nauvoo Temple and in the um, first temples they had in, in Utah, there were spittoons in them. I knew you were going to bring that up. So clearly, people were chewing tobacco in violation of the word of wisdom and still getting into the temple. You know who, who uh, petitioned to remove the spittoons? Uh, the Relief Society. <laughs> Women were in the forefront of the temperance movement at that time, right? You know, don't drink, don't smoke, that sort of thing. So they're the ones who got the spittoons removed from the temple. I got to tell you, women always ruin things for the rest of us. They really do. Now, now we're both sexist. I was, I was waiting for one of us to make that claim. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, these are, uh, we haven't even gotten into polygamy or changes of the priesthood garments or um, the Masonic symbols on the temple or, or Joseph Smith's flirtation with masonry. I think he was like some like a eleventh level mason, um, or any of the other crazy, crazy stuff that uh, is inherent in Mormonism. I think that's plenty, though. Uh, for me, the nail in the coffin for Mormonism was Adam, God, and um, the Book of Abraham. Yeah, the, I those gotta, to me are yeah. insurmountable for modern Mormons. You just yeah, can't the, get around. I uh, I'd already heard of Adam, God, but it was really the Book of Abraham that I just took one look and said, if he could not translate this simple hieroglyphic text that Champollion over in France was able to do, then why should I follow somebody who didn't understand that? That was really the na nail in the coffin for yeah. me. Champollion used science, right, which these guys disparage. But he was right and Joseph Smith was wrong. And I truly believe that Joseph Smith should have burned those things as soon as he translated them because it's patently obvious that he was wrong. Yeah, well, maybe the problem was is everybody was so glad that they actually got to see them where uh, in difference with the golden plates where they didn't get to see them that they were probably holding on to them as some sort of holy artifact right well they thought it was the book of abraham you're absolutely right uh, the problem was arrogance they thought that joseph smith was going to be uh, vindicated in his translation you know if somehow we finally figure out what the uh, uh, hieroglyphs meant then uh, you this would be proof that he's a prophet. Oops. Yeah, didn't that kind of shots in the foot now, didn't it? We haven't talked about steel in the Book of Mormon. Oh. <laughs> we talked a little bit about chariots and horses. They have a monetary system in the Book of Mormon. Totally ridiculous. Native Americans didn't have a monetary system. Yeah, uh, I mean, and there none are just of the, so things to the, cover could never get to them all. None of the archaeology has ever unearthed evidence of any of the cities that Joseph Smith describes in the Book of Mormon. And you know, that's actually something I brought up with a cousin of mine. I, uh, I pointed out all these battles and all these large cities, and I asked him, where did those cities go? Yeah. His response to me was that archaeologists haven't had a chance to dig up enough yet, and therefore that's the reason why they haven't found it. The, the not found does not equal not exist, right? Um, yeah. Let me tell you this. We've dug in Europe and found plenty of evidence for uh, steel and uh, mine tailings and that sort of thing. We've done an equal amount of digging, if not more, in the, the South American continent and uh, nothing. Nothing. Yeah. And these were contrary. large... We not even found nothing. We found stuff that's contrary to, to what he said in the uh, Book of Mormon. Yeah. 
I mean, everything we dig up is contrary to what's said in the in the yeah. Book of Mormon. Yeah. Why don't we find one piece of evidence towards the Book of Mormon? I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb and make two predictions here. I'm gonna prophesy. Oh. I'm gonna prophesy that the Book of Abraham and the Pearl of Great Price are going to be diminished in importance. They're gonna be played down. Uh, eventually, the Book of Mormon will be played down, uh, and Mormons will kind of mainstream themselves into just different types of Christians. I'm also going to prophesy that gays will eventually receive full standing in the Mormon church, and it won't be an abomination anymore, um, but that will occur approximately 20 years after the rest of the country decides that. You know, I am not going to argue with that prophecy, but you've got one fatal flaw in all of your prophecies. What's that? You state it too clearly. You have to confound us. Oh, Just make right. us believe things. In the time of desolation and abomination, the church will cleave to men who cleave to other men. How about that? That's absolutely pathetic. You're no Joseph God Smith. damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly he was a prophet and I am not. Yeah, obviously he can pull shit out of, out of his ass better than you can, so Clearly. he's a prophet. All right, what do we got on tap for next week? Well, next week, I'm still attempting to get a hold of uh, a Mormon or even a pair of Mormons who will actually get on there and talk with us about their side of the story. However, I'm still finding it very difficult to find any who will actually come on to our show. So if we can't find them, we will probably have uh, Matt Wakefield or somebody else out there who has already recorded a session with us and will toss it into the mix or find somebody else to interview. That sounds good. I think, I honestly think that there are no answers to this. Mormons know there are no answers to this, and therefore they have nothing to gain by coming on. I agree with you. I mean, you would not believe the type of shutdowns I keep getting by the LDS community. I just ask somebody if they want to come on here and they block me from their internet site. They ignore my emails. They ignore my phone calls. I've even made phone calls on this. And they are blatantly just saying, you know what, we don't want to discuss this with you. Yeah, um, I think they're afraid, clearly. All right, we'll figure out something for next week then. All right, yeah, have a good one, folks. See you next week.